Welcome to the Lighthouse Podcast, a resource created by Lighthouse Family Retreat to strengthen families that are living through childhood cancer. You will hear stories from families, educational information on childhood cancer, and most importantly, we will encourage your family during this journey. I am so glad you're tuning in this week, but if you missed last week's episode, we highly recommend that you're going to pause right here, go back and listen to that episode first. I'll explain more in a minute. While we're talking about missing episodes, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever it is that you listen, because there are some shows coming up that you guys don't want to miss, especially in September, where we've got some really special stuff planned for Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. Also, if you live in Atlanta or Florida's Emerald Coast, we've got something really special coming up in September. So mark your calendars for the Gold Party on September 11th. It's a really fun casino night that will raise money for our mission of strengthening families living through childhood cancer. And there's more. Really exciting news. We're holding our first ever weekend retreat this fall. It's September 17th through 19th. It's a Friday through Sunday in Colorado. Mm. It's going to be a really special getaway for your whole family. A time to get away from the stress of cancer and have time away and get loved on by some really great volunteers. So if you're living through childhood cancer and you're within a couple hours of Colorado, visit our website, lighthousefamilyretreat.org for more info on that. Yeah. So speaking of strengthening families and just Colorado, because I love talking about Colorado. (laughs) Yes. That's going to be a fantastic weekend. But strengthening families, I think that family focus is one thing that makes our mission at Lighthouse very unique. And so there's a lot of great organizations out there that are doing great work to support the child that's on treatment. Uh, But what's really unique to us is we are called to really wrap around the entire family that's facing this journey. And we do that through our different retreats, whether they're the week-long beach retreats, one-day retreats, this new weekend retreat we have coming up that are built around the entire family. Also, we have resources like this podcast where we're trying to equip and encourage more parents. And I think one way that we can really encourage parents is by hearing stories like the one you're here today when Chris and I talked to the siblings of a childhood cancer survivor. Last week, we shared our conversation with Kayla Funk, who was 18 years old when she was diagnosed with stage four neuroblastoma. Kayla's the oldest of three, so she has her younger um, siblings, Andrew and Morgan. They were also teenagers when they learned she was facing this diagnosis. That's right. Now, before we go in and to the podcast and hear about their past, let's get to know a little bit about where these two young adults are now. So Andrew is the youngest in the family and is an air traffic controller in the U.S. Air Force, which is a pretty big deal. Um, Currently lives in Salt Lake City, Utah with his wife, and he spends his free time hiking, skiing, and swimming, all things that I would like to do if I was in Utah as well. Okay. We're also talking with the middle child, Morgan, who's a travel advisor and no surprise here, loves traveling, right? (laughs) There you go. Uh, As well as eating sushi and hanging with her husband and dogs in their backyard in Louisville, Kentucky. And you're going to hear from our conversation with these two. Um, Morgan and Andrew really credit a lot of the life skills they've developed as teenagers and young adults to the journey that they went through with Kayla's diagnosis, who thankfully, Kayla is cancer-free and living happily and healthily in Tucson, Arizona mm-hmm. right now. I think you're really going to enjoy hearing from these two. So let's check it out. Well, hey, Andrew and Morgan, welcome to the Lighthouse Podcast. We're super excited to have you guys. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. So we spoke with your um, sister, and that's what uh, turned us on to wanting to speak with you guys as siblings and get some just perspective from y'all going through uh, the world of childhood cancer as a sibling. How old were you guys when Kayla was first diagnosed? I was 16 years old, a sophomore in high school. 
and I had just turned 15. Kayla and I have the same birthday, so she had just turned 18, and I had just turned 15. So what do you remember about um, her diagnosis and how you were told about it? Um, so basically, Kayla was in Africa uh, when she started having all of uh, the problems that she was having, her bruising and her nosebleeds and everything. And uh, so she came home because she was on uh, missions there. She came home and uh, got several tests done. And um, basically, we were just waiting on news. Okay, is this going to be something, you know, not good or is this going to be something harmless and we were all out we'd all gone out to dinner because we were supposed to find out if um what we were dealing with was bad we were supposed to find out that day so we had all gone out to dinner as a family and then um no calls at dinner nothing and then we went out to get ice cream at doodles and that's when kayla got a call when we were standing in line at doodles and so we left, went to uh, Brookwood where her doctor was, and we all sat down around a table. And that's when they told us that uh, he knew that she had some type of cancer, but that they didn't know what type of cancer it was. And so that's when things got rough. <laughs> As a 15-year-old, I, I would imagine you have some awareness of what that meant. Yeah. Um, uh, our great-grandmother on um, our mom's side, she had had breast cancer. Um, and so we had, you know, but that uh, having a great grandmother is different than your sister. Yeah. Um, and so we had never really had anybody super close to us go through something like that before. And so basically all I, all I was processing, all I was processing was, um, what Dr. Bertley, which was her doctor, all I was processing was exactly what he was saying. And he was saying that, um, it was bad, but, that. uh, they were going for, you know, like full recovery. And so I was as hopeful as I could be, but I knew that things were about to be not fun for anybody in the situation. Morgan, what do you remember? So um, for me, I, I mean, I remember her being sick in Africa and my mom and dad were up all night on the phone with my sister because it was obviously di much different time zones. So I just remember that, them being up all night my uncles are both doctors, so um, they were involved. They were consistently um, in touch with my sister. And mostly what I remember is, like, I missed her a lot. Like, it was a big difference with her being home for all of those years and then just being gone. Um, so what was registering in my mind is she's coming home. She's going to go see a few doctors. Um, I'm just excited to see her. And... I think some part of me assumed that she would go back to Africa. Um, we would get some tests done, maybe get her on some meds, antibiotics, if you know she had an infection and then she would go back. Um, but like Andrew said, she ran her tests. The doctor said, <clears throat> if there's something to worry about, you'll hear from me today. If no news is good news though. So just, if nothing else, we'll talk on Monday. Um, we went, to dinner, we went to get ice cream. She got the phone call. It was a very silent ride over to the hospital because at that point we were all in an um, understanding that the call did not mean that we were, that it was time to celebrate anything. Um, I do remember that night just sitting in that conference room and 
not necessarily anything going over my head. I felt like I understood the severity of the situation, but I do remember that I couldn't grasp where my emotions were because it was just a lot all at once um, to grasp. Um, so it was very overwhelming. And I remember we went home that night and we all just kind of sat there and cried and we didn't have a game plan. Um, Kayla was told that night she couldn't go off to college, which that was what Kayla wanted to do for, just like any, you know, all, a lot of other teenagers, they want to go off to college, they want to go to school, SEC football. Um, so I think that is what hit her probably the hardest, knowing that her life was about to come to a halt. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think it took quite a few weeks, and if not months, where my heart, mind, soul, emotions were could come together and understand exactly what was going on. Um, it was almost like I was staring at a brick wall and I had to break through that brick wall to figure out um, all the details. But that's kind of what I remember, just it taking a long time to soak in and to understand. At first they said they weren't quite sure what kind, it took a while for them to figure out what it was. I remember that from her story, but when did you get an understanding of what treatment was? Her treatment was brutal. So when did you start to understand or when were expectations laid out that this is what she was going to have to go through, that this was going to be this long of a process and kind of the steps she was going to have to take? I, I think it started to come to me when the doctor suggested that she harvest her eggs or freeze her eggs, um, where she was that this chemo was going to cause her to become infertile and therefore like children were not going to be in her future unless she took this step. So for me, I think it was the, that was kind of a big step in the realization that like, uh, this is really serious mm -hmm. um, because we were talking about childhood cancer and then all of a sudden we're in the fertility um, clinic of the hospital um, with the specialist talking about that. So. I don't know if that necessarily answers the question, but that's kind of where I started to get a mindset of what was about to start happening, that it was going to be a long, hard journey and not just a few months. And a lot of it was, um, and this is how it is for a lot of kids, um, new things become available and new studies become available like, oh, they're doing this here. We need to go to, we need to go to the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Well, Kayla did this thing at um, Children's Hospital in, in Cincinnati where it just became available for her to do it. It wasn't like a thing that they knew that they were going to do right when she started treatment. She had radioactive dye inserted into her body and she had to sit behind a, a lead curtain for how long was it? Like a week, two weeks. Yeah. So that's how it is for a lot of kids is, you know, when you don't have, when you don't have any, when you don't have any options, um, you know, you've done the chemo, you've done the radiation, you've done the, um, whatever it's like, Oh, they're, this is happening here. You know, like this is our last chance. We need to, if it doesn't work, we tried, you know, as a sibling, uh, and you've got a, an older sister that's going through this, you know, what kind of fears, uh, and reactions does this bring about for you as a sibling? Like what, what started to, unfold in your heart i can't tell you how many times we thought she was going to die i mean truthfully like literally just 
she came so close to dying probably like four or five times. And the first time it was like, you know, it's, it's so sad that it, it became like a normal thing and it never lost like the, um, it, it never, even though it became a, a, time, a thing that happened multiple times, it, it never lost the terrible gut-wrenching thing that you think that your sister is about to die. Um, and I, I, that didn't happen for me for the first, like, uh, until she relapsed, because I was pretty hopeful. Um, and I kind of tried to, like, not try to, like, keep myself in the dark a little bit, like, try not to think about it. But, yeah, when she relapsed, it was kind of hard to not do that. And then after that, for her brain tumors and all of that, it was just, like, we really thought she was going to die, like, several times. How how did your parents help you, or did your parents help you to navigate that? Like, wh- how did you intern like not internalize it and actually process it? I was very uh, lucky to have um, a solid group of friends to help me get through it. I had a really really tight knit group of friends, uh, people that I went to school with, and then also people that I went to church with that um, I could talk to and whatnot but i do remember um i internalized a lot and it's you know it's not something that you want to put on your parents when they're dealing with your sister that has cancer you don't want to be like oh like i'm struggling help me you know because you know it's not even happening to you but you're still dealing with the effects of it uh but yeah i remember crying by myself um just trying not to make things worse than they already were and i remember um one night when kayla we were all sitting on the couch and kayla was convinced that she felt a tumor on her skull she felt (laughs) she felt her head she said i have a tumor and so of course we're like oh my gosh we need to get to the hospital right now i stayed home and then about near had a panic attack ended up it was just a bump on her skull um, and we laugh about that now because we think back on it and it was so traumatizing, but now it's just like, what the heck was going on? Um, but yeah, I stayed home and yeah, about near had a panic attack while everybody else went to the hospital because somebody had to stay with the dog. <laughs> so my moments by myself were definitely, I could just like basically scream and that made me feel better. <laughs> yeah, sure. Morgan, how did you cope? What made you feel better? Um, Similar to Andrew, we were all very blessed with a a support system that I I don't know that I could put into words how thankful we um, are for all of them. And I think each one of us had different people um, that we relied on. We talked a little bit about it in like our conversation prior, just how having friends is really important my parents are insanely amazing. Like they're just awesome. Like we, I can't speak enough about how I look up to them, but there were times where they had such, um, they had so much emotion going on with how they're dealing with things that it was difficult for Andrew and I to add on to that. Yeah. And I think we both recognized that. Um, 
in the best way possible. Like we were in the understanding that my parents just had a lot on their plate anyway. So we did seek support elsewhere for different kind of conversations, just what we needed. Um, I went off to college in um, 15. She was diagnosed in 13. Um, college helped a lot. Um, I went to Auburn. I just moved a little bit away. However, I do feel like it helped me to ignore what was going on. Um, there was just a lot of times where I felt a sense of normalcy um, when I was there at Auburn with roommates and going to church out there and no one really had a grasp on what my reality was. Um, so I wouldn't say that's the best way to cope with anything is to go and try to ignore. Um, but I will say that going out and meeting new friends and joining church groups and having coffee with like mentors that really was super helpful for me. And that's really how I got through most of it is just leaning on other people yeah. and understanding that leaning on other people is okay. How did you guys do with, obviously you guys have both mentioned it, uh, you know, the amount of attention that your parents have to put towards Kayla with everything she's going through uh, it's not a, a fault, right? We talk about this a lot at Lighthouse and with parents. It's not a fault of a parent. It's just the reality of the the urgency of a child and the treatment that they're in and putting a lot of attention towards them. How did you guys adapt to not having that attention from your parents? Andrew and I tag teamed a lot on, on a lot of just things. Um, I, you know, example, I had taken the ACT multiple times prior to him taking it and um, when it was time for us to start doing college prep and test taking, and I was kind of his support system there. I helped him figure out how to sign up and do the trainings and what kind of calculator to use and what pencil to take. And um, we were able to kind of just explore our relationship together um, and be helpful with each other. Like I mentioned, we had a huge support system. Our parents' friends were constantly bringing dinner to the house and doing our laundry. And it kind of got to the point where I was like, holy cow, you guys don't have to do all of this. Like I can, I'm allowed to get up off the couch, but um, we, Andrew and I, we really did. Um, I wouldn't, I don't know, not rise to the occasion together, but we were able to help each other through a ton. Um, we learned how to cook a lot of different meals and we spent a lot of time in the car together. Was your relationship, the two of you, uh, was your relationship strong before this happened? I think it definitely did bring us closer together out of everybody. In the, me and Morgan have always, always gotten along great together with the two of us. But when you throw the family in there, I'm the youngest and she's the middle. And so we had definitely had a tough time growing up getting along with each other. But... <laughs> Uh, if there was anything, uh, any positives to the whole five, four years um, of absolute terribleness, Morgan and I did grow a lot closer together and we were able to spend time together and figure out uh, <laughs> stuff that, you know, made us fight when we were younger and kind of figure all of that out. Yeah, that's great. 
How did it change your relationship with your big sister? Because now your big sister is someone that you kind of have to take care of a little bit. And I would imagine that takes it from like the normal big sister stuff to a whole different relationship. We're so close in age. I never wanted either of them to take care of me at all. I was like, (laughs) you're three years older than me and you're a year and a half older than me. Get out of my face. But, um, yeah, we had to, I mean, literally, I can't even think of all the stuff that we had to do to take care of her. You know, it's just basically like taking care of an infant when they're incapacitated in the hospital and they can't even barely open their eyes. You have to help them walk up and down the stairs and Mm. definitely, definitely shifted that. And that's something that uh, none of us had had to do because we were all so close in age that we didn't have somebody that was significantly younger than us to, you know, take care of and have to watch like with a, with a close eye, you know, Kayla's always been like, (laughs) I always laugh. Kayla literally never caused trouble ever at all whatsoever. She like, wasn't dramatic and she never complained. I wouldn't say she wasn't dramatic. (laughs) She had her her dramatic stage. Now she's like, way too chill like sometimes i'm like <laughs> you can have like you can get worked out about it you're fine but she's just like she's just amazing and so i think about like her in the hospital like she just she handled mo- like just her situation with such grace and compassion and she could be sitting in the hospital and you know throwing up fever chills soars down her throat and she's worried about the kid down the, the hallway because he's little and she would go lay in bed with with all of the other kids and watch movies with them and bring them Christmas presents like she's just amazing um all that to say like our relationship was able to blossom just I was able to watch her and admire her how she handled the situation and I think multiple times I said like if this were me, and I wish it was, like anybody would say like, do this, you know, I want this to be happening to me and nobody else, but they would hate me a lot more because I feel like I would be the complainer and I would be the dramatic one and the sassy one. Um, But we were, I was able to grow with her through that, just watching her be a leader in this situation, even take, like taking care of her, yes, but Um, I never felt like it was a chore and I could say the same for Andrew. Like it was never, um, it was a, it was genuinely a joyous occasion to get to go up to the hospital every single day um, and just hang out and spend time with her and, um, and just, and be siblings. Um, A lot of this life situation, um, it shows you who friends are. um, And I think we all saw that in real life and you really never see it, but um, we were able to just grow together and be with her every single day when maybe not every single person um, who wants to be there can. It sounds like she became the big sister for all the other kids in the hospital. Yeah. I mean, it's like she had such an odd situation because she was ages 18 to 21, you know, in a unit with, babies anywhere from infant to you know 10 11 years old um and she really was like the big sister uh on the um 
on the on the floor. You know, it was it was really cool to watch. So let me ask you, it sounds like from the very beginning, like at diagnosis, you were all in the room together. Like you kind of did, because, and a lot of it because of your age, you were old enough to understand it. Were you involved, like, were there times that your parents had to have really tough conversations with you? Like, did they have to, because you're, you, it sounds like you knew all the stuff. Like, I mean, you talked about the fertility clinic and being there with her. Were there times they had to sit you down and have really tough conversations and did you appreciate the honesty? Did you wish that you didn't know all the details sometimes? I don't even, I don't think so. I don't remember that because we were there for the whole thing. There. Um, yeah. I mean, we were sitting on the sidelines while all the action was happening at the game, you know? So I, I don't remember any like conversations like that. Do you? Well, Kayla is incredibly stubborn, um, and she was the girl who was wanted to have the hard conversations. She yeah. was always the one in the room where if the nurse turned to talk to mom and dad, she would like, you know, she would bring the eyes back to her. And so and, and she she asserted <laughs> that um, very quickly on. And that was important to her because she she knew that she was old enough to understand. So she wanted to be the one that um, communicated. Um, and we laugh, we laugh about it all the time about how she was like, this is me. I am the patient. Look at me. Um, but I guess I'm with Andrew. I don't remember the hard conversations coming from my parents much because we were usually in the room for, um, for any of the, the hard stuff. Um, but I think if we had a hard conversation, Kayla was the one who, who fed us the details, um, which was always harder as well. Sure. So now in the seasons that you're in now, looking back, right? Cause this has been several years. You mentioned earlier, 2015, 13 uh, and 15, when you went to school, Morgan went away. Um, how has this affected you and, uh, and where you are today? Has, how has it impacted um, your journey, your life, decisions that you're making and, and where you are today? The journey of, of cancer, of childhood cancer, it was a, it was a big chunk of my developing years, um, of my friendships and my growth and um, who I became as an adult. Um, I would say that I have learned to trust people more um, with that. Um, I've also learned to, um, to just really explore who I am as a friend, as a wife, as a family member, and to be super genuine in relationships. Um, we are never promised tomorrow. Um, and I see that firsthand. I've seen it with my sister being as sick as she was, and we are very, very blessed that she is still alive today. But we also, I've, I've been to many funerals where the casket was three feet long, you know, and um, that's just something that you just don't forget. And so I have um, grown to really, like I said, understand um, my relationships and to pursue them um, in a much deeper way than I think I would have if I didn't ex experience this. Um, I want to be, I'm probably a little bit extra sometimes, but I want to be <laughs> the person to other people that um, they can rely on for truly anything. 
um, and just love unconditionally and very hard, love very hard. Yeah. I think it's okay to be extra when it comes to loving very hard. Yeah. That's just my opinion. I, think that's I good, agree. Right. I think that's good. So what would you tell us parents? Um, you went through this as kids. What, what would you share with parents? What are some things that your parents did really well that helped you? Or what would you tell parents that are starting on this journey that have kids, that they're trying to parent siblings and a child going through treatment? Give your kids as much responsibility as they can take because you'd be surprised uh, what a 15-year-old and a 16-year-old are capable of when they find out that their 18-year-old sister has cancer. Um, And that also gives them a sense of accomplishment and a sense of like, wow, I can be a superhero to my sister. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that was very, very important for us to feel like that we were a part of the team. Because otherwise, it's just like, oh, you're just a kid. You can't do anything, you know, just whatever, whatever. You know, that's not cool. But also, you know, don't forget about them. And I don't think I ever felt like, um, I don't think I ever felt like mom and dad forgot about us. Uh, But obviously, there was more important things going on than our, you know, our drama at school and whatever. But they still helped us deal with all the stupid stuff that we were going through. Because it was, you know, still important to us at the time, even though they're like, Kayla's in a hospital bed, (laughs) you know, just know that if you're doing the best that you can do, that your kids see that Mm -hmm. and don't feel like you're inadequate. For me, I guess, um, I know it's not, it's not always super easy, but I would tell other parents to as, as, um, maybe, I mean, as much as you can just take different times um, maybe an ice cream trip or a football game or um, and take those siblings one-on-one to spend time and doesn't necessarily have to be where you guys go, go into deep conversation and and cry your eyes out but just um, intentional time together is is really important um, mm-hmm. and it's not always easy things are um, crazy and up at the hospital and I know for my parents and my sister was older so it wasn't as much having a guardian in the room and making sure someone was with her at all times because there were certain times where my sister was like I would love to be alone if someone everybody would just go do your thing you can come back later um but I don't know maybe also like there are people who love your family more than life itself and they want to come sit up in the hospital room with your child and let you go shower and let you go get a cup of coffee and let you take your other kid to six flags um and let let people do it obviously within boundaries and i know right now with covid that's actually probably impossible um but let the people let your tribe love on you and let them support you and let them love on your child don't feel like you have to do it all by yourself. Yeah. Sometimes we need permission to do that uh-huh. as parents. That's yeah. really good. Yeah. yeah. Hey, so I have one more question before um, we wrap things up. Um, if you had, if you could pick one thing, right, one thing that you could share, there's a lot of parents that are listening, probably not as many siblings, but if the parents could share this with their kids, right, what is one piece of advice you would give to siblings? that are going through this with their, with their older sister, or maybe it's a younger sister, but as a sibling, sibling to sibling, 
What is one thing that you would share with them? I would say that, and this sounds like so cliched, but you have to be strong for your your brother or sister, whether older or younger, um, because whatever they're doing is 10 times worse than, you know, what you're experiencing. And you have to be, you have to be strong for them and you have to be a, a rock for them and a, and a source of strength because if you're not, um, you know, you, you don't want to be the weakest member of the team. <laughs> you need to be the strongest member of the team. Uh, cause you already got somebody who has to be the weakest member of the team, you know, like they, they can't take on your, I would never, I would never have come to Kayla and been like, Oh, this is just, you know, like what you're going through is just like really hard on me. And you know, that's, that is, Oh, I hate that. I, <laughs> I absolutely hate that. That is so selfish and it's not your place. So be uh, be the be the stronger. You don't have to be the strongest member of the team, but don't be the weakest member of the team. <laughs> I'm loving the sports analogies, Andrew. Yeah. Right? I'm a mom of three boys, and this is how we talk at our house. Everything's yeah. about the team and the sidelines and the quarterback. So I'm appreciating mm-hmm. that. But I also think that's valuable. You're, it's coming from somebody that's been a sibling. You know, that's you're, it, you're speaking. It's peer to peer language, and so you can you can challenge. I think a little bit and push to say, hey, no, we. As siblings, we've got to we have to step up. We have to be stronger. We don't have to be the strongest. I yeah. like that, mm-hmm. but we got to be stronger through this. And so, yeah, I, I appreciate that. Morgan, how about you? One thing I would say, not to underestimate your value, hmm. and that things are hard, and maybe where you are in life maybe isn't the main focus of the craziness going on in your life, but don't underestimate who you are and what you can do um, and that you can be strong. You have the ability to be strong. Um, You also have the ability to be you. Don't underestimate that you are still you and you are still a personality and you are still a heart um, and you still have the ability to be the best person ever. So just not underestimating that you can be you Great. And that's okay to be you. You guys, all, I know that you guys are grown ups and everything, but as a mom, I keep just thinking your parents must be so proud of you all. Like <laughs> to be able to to talk about your experience and what it was like and, and how you found value in helping. And like that, I, I love that, that that gave, made you feel like you were participating yeah. and that you could help out in some way. Because, you know, there's a there's a feeling of helplessness when someone you love is that sick, like because you can't cure it yourself. So I love that. And I'm so grateful that you spent time with us today because those of us who have been through this journey know that it's really cancers the whole family. It's not about one person. It's about the whole family and then the whole village. So I think getting perspectives from the brothers and sisters that, like you said, are on the front lines all the time is super valuable. Mm-hmm. And so thank you for just taking the time. And we love talking to Kayla as well. And um We just appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thank you for having us. That was a really great conversation. I hope for any parents walking the path of childhood cancer who are worried about their other kids and how they will turn out as a result of this diagnosis, that you're left feeling encouraged and optimistic. I think Morgan and Andrew demonstrate how despite the challenges, your other kids have the potential to rise to the occasion and have their own character and their faith strengthened 
while they're on the front lines with you. We hope you were as blessed by their story as we were. Yeah, and in fact, if you're finding this podcast helpful, we'd really be grateful if you guys would head over, rate, review the podcast, so that way we can get more eyes and ears on what we're doing here at Lighthouse, and they can hear stories just like this, and uh, we'd really appreciate that. We'll see you guys back here next week on the Lighthouse Podcast.